and welcome to Access Chat. I'm really delighted that we're joined today by June Lowry, who is responsible for the Accessibility Safer Internet and Language Unit at DG Connect. That's quite a mouthful. June, I know you're posting great stuff on social media all the time about topics that are really important and close to my heart, but can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do with DG Connect, the work of the unit, and also how you came to be working in the accessibility space, because everybody's journey into this is different. Well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to be your guest today. I've really, really been looking forward to it. So my unit, like you said, Neil, looks at safer internet for children. We look at accessibility in the digital space. Particularly, we have a piece of legislation that obliges accessibility on public sector websites and mobile apps. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. And last but not least, where actually there is also overlaps with accessibility, um, we look at language technologies, digital language technologies. Um, and that, of course, overlaps with accessibility in terms of speech recognition, speech to text. If you've got speech to text, you can translate, but you can also do lots of other cool things with it. So um, that's quite, uh, it's, it, they're, they're all three fantastically rewarding, really fascinating subjects. And I feel very privileged to be, to be working on them and to have this job. So how did I get here? I think totally imposter syndrome, being totally ill-equipped and unqualified to do any of those three. Um, I studied languages way back in the previous century. I worked as a British civil servant in Germany for several years doing quite interesting stuff on counter-terrorism. And then after the Cold War ended, you know, those good old days, we um, I didn't want to go back to Britain. I wanted to stay in Europe. Little did I know how poignant that would become. And um, so I applied for a job at the European Commission Worked, in fact, on the, in a different part of the institutions, the publications office for a long time. And then in the last sort of four or five years, I moved to DG Connect, which is the bit of the commission that looks at the digital single market, or it was called that uh, when I joined. And then for the last three years, I've really had this privilege of, be, of having this job with these three different sectors, um, legislating for web accessibility. We have funding and kind of soft policy on safer internet for children. And we have funding and do research into language technologies and also deploy stuff. So yeah, dream job. Don't ask me how I got it though. <laughs> step by step I, I, I won't but but um how you know what was it that drew you to to the dream why is it you're you're obviously it's interesting all of these things fascinate me but I mean um usually there's some kind of personal reason why this resonates with you and you get drawn to it oh if only life was that orderly <laughs> the European Commission Oh, naive, Neil. No, it's the right place at the right time, I'm afraid. Manage lots of different things, so let's give us something else totally different to manage. Okay. That's, uh, that's why is that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I am not a technician. No claims to be that. And so these slightly more sort of socially policy side of things, I feel more able to bring something to um, and I think probably if, if you know the horrible interview questions what's your strengths I think actually I really enjoy communicating I think the commission does fabulous stuff in so many different areas and uh, and the three areas as I say that we've got in my unit are three spectacular examples of that and so you know if at least I can help communicate that I think that's a that's a good day's job that at least I, I think I can do. 
Good, great. And um, so you you alluded to uh, the legislation, and and and, and these are big pieces of legislation as well. These are, uh, you, you mentioned that you've already got the public sector legislation and, and, and we've seen even in the UK, which has left, they transposed that into, into UK law and that's had a profound impact on on all of our public sector websites. Mm-hmm. And, and we're still seeing, and now mobile, because mobiles mm-hmm. came into scope later. Um, that's really um, increased demand for accessibility, increased awareness, uh, um, certainly in the public sector. And there's more to come. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's actually surprisingly, well, certainly was surprised to me when I tried to sort of pull together what um, what actually Legislation Connect has in the field. And we are not really the specialists in terms of accessibility and working with persons with disabilities. That's my colleagues in DG Employment and Social Affairs. Mm -hmm. But even in the digital sphere, we have. Well, my unit has our piece of accessibility that's called the Web Accessibility Directive in the jargon. But there's also the European Electronic Communications Code, which looks at emergency numbers having to be accessible or alternatives be provided. Um, Our colleagues responsible for the Audiovisual Media Services Directive, where there are meant to be gradual improvements. So it's not sort of like a firm and as tight a deadlines and obligations as we have in the Web Accessibility Directive, but it's still clearly pushing the video service platforms, the video sharing platforms in that direction, everything that's online as as traditional broadcasters had to be dealt with. Um, There's the Marrakesh Treaty, you know, in terms of books for for those with uh, visual impairments and so on and so on. So there's there's quite a lot of hard law, even from our side in terms of the digital sphere. But then the really big, I think, game changer um, will be the what's called the European Accessibility Act. It's been adopted, it's entering into force, but the actual practical implementation will be as of 2025. And that obliges accessibility onto a whole bunch of services and hardware that were really identified as being particularly essential for persons with disabilities. So it's not like everything everywhere has to be accessible, but computing services, basically on any online sort of commercial services, whether that's ticketing for transport or you know banking services, anything like that has to be accessible. And so I'm not I'm not sure if it was serendipity or not that the Web Accessibility Directive got adopted and entered into practical force first. But if you like, we're sort of paving the way through the public sector, hopefully encouraging the market, stimulating the market, showing firms who are offering accessibility services. But, um, you know, we have a st- technical standard to say this is what accessibility looks like this is what you can aim for and not have to invent something else or double guess what actually the definition is which i think is really important to get private sector on board and actually investing in this that they know they're going to have some um you know that their investment is going to pay off they're not going to be asked to change it again five minutes later and so we're doing that for the pri- for the public sector at the moment as you said neil websites and apps and then mm, a bigger bang, should we say, 2025. And I think that will really hopefully bring about this sort of, we'll reach the tipping point there in terms of actually having accessible design by default, that actually it will be easier for everyone to do it right from the start rather than try to retrofit, which we see from the public services is, you know, is quite a painful process and is quite difficult. Whereas thinking accessible right from the get-go, just, you know, it's just a win-win for everyone. 
And I see Deborah uh, agrees with me. Thank you, Deborah. Yeah. John, uh, we know that um, uh, there's a, a massive investment from the Commission in, in the digital space, uh, funding startups, funding projects in, in, in different countries. So uh, is there any safeguards or measures that are in place uh, that guarantee that, you know, when those investments, investments are made in this kind of technologies, uh, they, they somehow support the creation of a better web and more inclusive web? We don't want, let's say, to invest in a kind of a healthcare system in Portugal that then is not accessible for people with disabilities or do the same in other countries. How can we make sure that uh, we keep in tone within accessibility? Yeah, I mean, obviously, as I say, for public sector, the law is there, so that puts the framework. But obviously, the EU itself is a complex and very multifaceted setup. You know, we're a unique kind of body across the world. There's no one else quite like us. And obviously, getting that word down to, you know, your Portuguese council that their local website for rubbish collection actually has to be accessible. You know, that's quite, that can be quite a challenge for the member states in that. And we know that the member states have been working very hard to do that. You know, we're talking about tens of thousands of websites, possibly even more than that in some member states. And so that's quite a a challenging chain to be absolutely sure that that's going to work every time. But for us, in terms of the services we procure, I think we're getting steadily better at saying things have to be accessible, websites have to be accessible, publications have to be accessible, and so on. And I think the mem and the member states definitely are trying to do that as well. And in and post COVID, which I think has obviously made everyone. It sort of highlighted the importance, the possibilities of home working and the challenges. When it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. And so as a part of the Commission's sort of response to build back better from COVID, there is huge sums of money through a fund called the Recovery and Resilience Facility. Uh, I think if memory serves, it's over 650 billion in total for the, all the member states. So we're talking about big sums of money here. And 20% of that has to be earmarked for digital projects. And so that is really a unique opportunity for the member states, so for our member countries, to invest in digital and to really invest in digital that is actually human-centric and inclusive and, and accessible from the start, as well as sort of investing in the digital skills and opportunities that that we need to have a sustainable digital economy. So, you know, I can't promise that everyone who receives EU funding is going to have heard of accessibility or going to spend their money the way we'd like them to spend it. But we're really trying to get that message out there and to have it really in from the start. Which is so smart that you're doing it right at the beginning, because as we all know, as you said so eloquently, retrofitting it is just so much more expensive. And um, and I know that the EU in some ways really took a leadership role, which we appreciated here in the States when you were, you know, providing the different content of how do you get accessible. There was a lot of stuff y'all were providing early on, which really was helping. And it was, it was very interesting also. This is also, I'm going back a ways, but when we had our section 508 and we were um, allowing our corporates to uh, sort of self-regulate. And um, it, it, I remember the, you know, we came over, a bunch of us came over from the States to the EU and we were talking about how y'all were going to do it. And y'all were going to be a lot 
actually stricter than we were in the States. And I, um, I just really, really appreciated that. I really did. And I know in the States, we sue each other. And I also, even though I think that's a messy way to do things, I also am glad because I'm so tired of the excuses. I'm just tired of them. You know, oh, we can't do it. It's too much trouble. We don't have enough money. But actually, if you blend it, if you blend it in, you, just try. Can you at least, don't tell us it's too hard to even try. So I appreciate from my lens, what you're doing. I I also like that you talked about procurement because something that we were really, um, you know, really, really harassing the United States government about is make sure you put it in all your procurement because then it protects you. Um, even if they don't do it right or they forget, you're protected. So I appreciate the leadership that you're showing there. And I, I think it's a great idea what you're doing, how you're tying it in to the, the relief money. So I think that's very cool. And the other comment I wanted to make or question I want to make is, and I don't want this you know, all to be from a U.S. lens, but of course we like to uh, use the stick um, and carrot, the stick and carrot approach. And so um, how did, how are there things that you are doing to, um, certainly you're talking about the benefit to everyone and the human centered. So I understand how you're doing the carrot and you're definitely making sure people have the content they need, but what approaches are y'all taking to making sure that people comply? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, and really, I think there's sort of two layers to my answer, if I can remember the second layer by the time I finish talking about the first one. So within the directive itself, which I think is, I mean, and I have to say credit to those who preceded me, who actually wrote and drafted and negotiated the directive. It was nothing to do with me. I inherited it. But within each country, you have to have a monitoring body and you have to have basically a contact point. So I think that is great because it means there is a single point of contact. Persons with disabilities within that member state should know their rights. And if they're not getting Getting them, they should be able to contact that, whether it's an ombudsman or a particular organization, however it's set up. So reflecting natural the natural national culture, you can go to one point, you can say, look, I asked for this, they didn't reply to me, they haven't done it right, this whatever, this isn't accessible. I want, you know, redress. And then you have sort of administrative procedures and the law foresees that that has to happen. So the member states have had to do that. On our website, we have a, a list of all those bodies so that there's a one-stop shop for people to find them. And so that's great. And then the other side of it, and this is in general for all EU legislation, is that when it's a directive, it basically says we set the aims and we say, you know, this is what you have to do, but we're not going to tell you how you have to word your legislation. So now we have my poor, wonderful staff who are the legal experts have 100 plus texts to plow through to check that that is compliant. So it's complete and it's conform with the with what was specified in the directive. And if we find that there's something that's really missing, then, you know, there are, there is a procedure that we can uh, eventually take the member state to court. Now, obviously, that is the nuclear option. I really don't think that's ever going to happen in this particular case, because in fact, the member states have been extremely willing and have been very, very, um, you know, they've really put a lot of effort and resources in, and we can see that we're all pulling in the same direction. It's not like sometimes where people, you know, where there can be more tensions about that because it's actually been much more controversial. I think it wasn't a particularly controversial act. We know that the member states are, are doing their best. They have to report to us for the first time by the end of this year 
on what they've done. And then after that, it's every three years, I think, or two or three years. And so we have these kind of mechanisms in, in the directive from the start. So there is a stick there. But as I say, it's not a stick I hope we will have to use in the future. So, so if I may follow on from that. So, so the directive was transposed into the UK law. And, and, and one of the great things that happened in that uh, in that writing process in, in the UK was actually um, they made a breach of the uh, public sector web regulations uh, equates to a breach of the Equality Act. And, and, for, and, and that was really a useful, uh, a useful strategic thing to do because the, the Equality Act 2010 was quite a woolly piece of legislation and, and it defined what discrimination was, but it didn't describe accessibility. And therefore it didn't describe that, it, it didn't really uh, outline that inaccessibility was discriminatory. So, so by the com combining of those two pieces of legislation, you finally end up with something that's fairly concrete that says, if you're not accessible, you're discriminating and, and that's, against the law uh, and, and so so that was really really that was really useful so that sort of set the legal precedent uh, and and hopefully that that precedent will continue to spread out um i think that as we go towards 2022 with the the sort of the states creating their own legislation and then 2025 when it becomes really into full force the there's going to be some definite challenges. You mentioned the, the challenges of um, of retrofitting. You know, as as we go from you know public sector, which is you know super important and you know really crucial to to supplying stuff to citizens, but to everyday products, it, you know, the the number of things that need to be made accessible that need to be checked is going to increase exponentially. Um, so I know that that, that that a lot of people that that are aware of this are you know quite concerned about how much um, effort there needs to be to do this. It's necessary effort, as far as I'm concerned. But um, but we're 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 somewhat lacking in in the skills uh, in order to do this. Not only the the work to make stuff accessible. But also on the other side, in terms of the enforcement, I won't say it's a stick because I think that that you can enforce stuff without necessarily the stick. There's the um, sticks necessary at the end, but 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 the enforcement needs to to happen, and that needs to be the, through the monitoring bodies. As that body of what comes in the scope of what must be accessible, how do we as a, an accessibility profession? And Europe and the US and others, because it's not just you know your 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 the legislation that you're bringing into force is going to affect people in the US in the same way that um, that privacy legislation has had an effect, which is why I'm really excited about it actually, because I think that that um, that a piece of legislation this big can have a global effect, even though it's it's driven by Europe. But how do we how do we collectively start to, to upskill people and, and share that knowledge? Because I think that's going to be one of the real challenges and, and, and might even be the, the crucial point between success and failure. Uh, 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Neil. I think I totally share that analysis. I think, um, you know, within Europe, we're really short of ICT professionals anyway. And so this March, recently anyway, this year, there's been a uh, quite important communication adopted called the Digital Compass, which really says we, where we want Europe to be by 2030, so in this digital decade. And one of the really key and very ambitious targets that's been set is that we move from having 8 million ICT specialists to having 20 million by 2030. And with gender convergence, now that is a brilliant target and I'm totally in favour. I don't know how we're going to get there. But Partly because of this funding, the exceptional funding as a recovery to COVID, also because for the first time we have a dedicated digital program in our funding, like our financial envelope for the next seven years. And within the digital program, we have a, a strand that is looking at digital skills and particularly the advanced skills. So, I mean, the super complex stuff, cybersecurity, HPC, artificial intelligence, all that stuff. So, again, investment going in at European level in terms of devising these courses and getting that sort of stuff up and running. And we are trying very hard to point out to everyone we meet and we can call it anywhere to say, accessibility should be part of those digital skills because we need people to being taught this. You know, I think personally, it's quite shocking that it isn't a sort of accessibility 101 isn't there within whatever you're doing in terms of ICT or design or anything like that. I mean, why not? You know, I, I just don't know why it isn't hardwired in there from the start. And so we're trying to sort of have those conversations and trying to say, you know, look, this money is going in this. We know we need more people. Let's at least make them talk that conversation, because, as you say, it's a growth area. And it's also a fantastic opportunity to give persons with disabilities really good jobs because we need persons with disabilities doing the testing. It's not pointless, and I won't say that because our directive foresees two types of testing, in-depth and simplified or automated. There's obviously a place for automated testing and to do that at scale, but we really need to have that user experience involved. And that I think is really a win-win. You know, we know persons with disabilities are horribly discriminated against in the market, in the workforce. You know, this is a chance to actually have a good jobs that serve a real need and that can create really a virtuous circle instead of this vicious circle of exclusion, not recognizing skills, not, you know, being in poverty and, you know, everything that we don't want and socially we know we don't want and economically is just a waste of, of good human resources there. So, you know, fingers crossed, we're doing our bit, we're trying our best and uh, and I'm really hopeful that with these, these pieces of legislation, we actually will make the market, show that it's practical and really show then that we need, uh, that there is a market for accessibility specialists. Yeah, so I'm utterly convinced um, because we're, we're in the market, we're growing, where, where I work for, we're growing our accessibility team and we've been, perfectly honestly, struggling to find enough people with the skills that we want. And, and so... Seven years ago, around about the same time as Access Chat, it must have been a good year, um, we, we started our first apprenticeship scheme. And um, we've been running accessibility apprenticeships uh, ever since. And in fact, the best bit of the story is the fact that one of my former apprentices was working with me as the co-chair of the Trailblazer Group that created the National Apprenticeship Standard for Digital Accessibility Specialists in the UK. I would love to see this standard be adopted elsewhere or something similar. I, we're, we're, I'm not precious about it because it's not 
my piece of work it's open source so you can go to uh you can go and find it and and, and take all of the information um but it seems to me that it, that clearly you know every public sector body has a need for people every company delivering services to those public sector bodies needs people right now and will need people to change their offerings adopt uh, adapt their their technologies uh, help create new ones because of the legislation that's coming so we really you know as a community and it's not just me because this was a collective effort to create this thing uh, really really need to be doing this but i know that it works because we we've, we've done it before so i would i would love to understand and connect with people in europe to to see this roll out further and us and wherever because actually we need thousands of people doing this you know, tens of thousands actually not five or six you know and and not little silos and i and to take to your point around the different types of testing yeah you, i mean yes it would be great to you know engage more people with disabilities in accessibility i really really want to get to the point where accessibility isn't the only viable job in tech for people with disabilities though so uh, it becomes one of those difficult questions and balances if you like where um people go well are you only, you know you're working in accessibility do you only employ disabled people in your team no we we employ people of all sorts we actively encourage people with disabilities and but we also want them to go into other jobs and the point of us doing accessibility is so that they can do these other jobs so so i mean it's it's hopefully and i think you know obviously you're a great ally for this um this is going to be something that will be part of that vision going forwards is there stuff that we can do as a community to add to your voice well, there's two obvious ways that spring to mind. First of all, specifically about the WOD review, and I really must say this because the clock is ticking for this. So we have at the moment a public consultation. We have, in fact, two public consultations online uh, in the Twitter chat. I can give the links on Tuesday. And um, one of which is the typical sort of EU legal speak quite not that complicated but quite lengthy sort of questionnaire but for the first time ever to our knowledge at least um we've also done a sort of simple text easy to read text which is just i think 10 questions really as pared down as we can and what i think is super interesting is that we've had twice as many responses to that simple easy to read text as we have to the full online questionnaire. So that also tells a story, I think. So please, anyone listening to this, have your say on the web accessibility review. Give us your views on what you think the EU legislation is. At the moment, we're talking about legislation for the public sector, but we have to review it formally, and that has to be done by next June. So it's a real chance for that. In terms of digital skills, as I say, there is money going to go into this. And the Commission, for example, kind of facilitates a bit of a like a marriage broker, a sort of matchmaker. So we have already digital traineeships where a firm can come and say, we're offering these digital traineeships, who's interested, or someone can say, I'm interested, what is there out there? Um, and I think that's another vehicle that we can really try and push the accessibility um, 
need for, for we need more accessibility specialists. There are jobs there, as you said yourself, firms are looking for them. And these sort of positions can also be a sort of stepping stone for persons with disabilities into more tech jobs because we know we need more diversity in the ICT industry. You know, I mean, with all due respect to the lovely white men of a certain age that we have in this conversation you know the world is not just made up of guys like you you know so we need more diversity um, and that really includes people of all sorts of abilities um, and to stop you know the obvious discrimination that can happen in AI and algorithms and so on and so on we just need to get more diversity into the into the ICT workforce. So June so we are you now uh, in, in September what are what have you planned until the end of the year what are the activities around your work that uh, we we it's important for us or for the community to follow okay so straight up is this online public consultation so i think that finishes about mid october early October. We then have all our homework to do, really looking at all the replies that we receive. Um, we're also talking regularly. We have a really nice network ourselves with the member states uh, and the civil Uh, servants there in the different ministries um, who we're also working with and trying to support them and help them help each other to actually meet the requirements of the directive. So we have a great network there. We know people are working really hard. And for the member states, the big deadline is then December, by which stage they have to deliver their first formal reports to us. So then we again have to do our homework as of January next year, because the deadline is to have this formal review of the Web Accessibility Directive, including analysis of the member states reporting ready by 23rd of June next year. So we have quite a packed agenda um, between now and now and next June, as well as now and the end of the year. Excellent. That, that's that's fantastic. And, and we don't want the next June. We're happy with the June that we've got right <laughs> now on on Access Chat. I, I, I really thank you for bearing <laughs> with us through the technical challenges. Need to thank our supporters, Barclays Access, MyClearText and MicroLink for you know, keeping with us over the years, keeping us captioned, keeping us on air. I really look forward to you joining us on, on Tuesday on Twitter. Thank you very much, June. My pleasure.